Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Unplug with Annie. Today I've got Annie Kazina on the show and she's a UK specialist abuse recovery coach. Um, she's worked with thousands of survivors of emotional and narcissistic abuse and having gone through it herself, um, which we're going to be talking more about. She's very passionate about helping others make the mind shifts that they need to, to enable them to move on and heal and just build healthy relationships and have a rewarding life. Um, she's also giving me very kindly some free resources for my listeners. So I'm definitely looking forward to sharing that with you. And I would just like to welcome her on the show. Hi, Annie. Welcome to Unplug with Annie. Um, I'm so happy to have you have you on this series because it's just so, I think, incredibly relevant to the work that you're doing as well. And, um, and, and, and this is the finale episode of the series called Release. So I'm, I'm really happy to have you on. Well, I'm really thrilled to be here. I look forward to talking with you. It, it is such a timely issue, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I just wanted to first understand, of course, we know a little bit about you as I've introduced you, but um, you obviously have started this work um, following your own experience of dealing with uh, narcissistic abuse. And I just mm -hmm. wanted to know a little bit more about the experience you had and also how you personally managed to, to heal from that trauma. Um, it's one of those, how long have you got questions? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. So, um, so briefly, my childhood was far from the worst of childhoods. Um, it was a middle class, secure childhood, two parents on the surface. It looked great. I had all the material things you could want. But at the same time, I only found this out many, many years later. The family structure was that we had the golden child, who was the oldest son, the second son, who was the designated scapegoat. And then I came along and I was the daughter, and I was expected to marry well. That was my chief role in life, to give my parents kudos. For the rest, I was largely neglected growing up. I was emotionally neglected. I did get abuse. I saw a lot of abuse in my family. One very narcissistic parent and one less so. But, you know, I looked around and I always thought, what have you got to complain about? My personal trauma, my major trauma came when I was leaving university and I'd had the blessing of getting away to university. I went to another city and for the first time in my life I breathed. At the end of that, my father said to me, you'll be coming home, won't you, to live till you marry? And I said, no, I won't. I'll be living with my friends. At that point, he stopped talking to me for four months. Mm -hmm. And that was hugely traumatic. It was, I had been cut loose. I had really just been, I'd lost my moorings, if you like, as you do in times like that. That was the point at which my abusive husband came into my life. You know, you can understand it, that you're desperate, you're lonely, and someone comes and rescues you. So I married my abusive partner, 
who uh, and I honestly thought the sun shone out of his backside and I have to say so did he and um, within a few months it naturally started to deteriorate because once he had me he had to find fault with me but two things happened for me one it felt kind of normal I lived with the shame alone because I couldn't go back to my parents. My relationship with them was virtually destroyed anyway. Um, I had nowhere to go. I felt I'd burnt all my bridges and this was incredibly familiar. So I lived with a lot of shame, lived as I think a lot of abuse victims do, behind a glass wall. The years went on and I couldn't talk about it because I believed it was my fault. I believe that other people could be happy, but somehow I couldn't. This was the glass wall. I could look at those lives beyond it, but it wasn't for me. Um, and so I stayed because, because I thought that my job was to try and make it right for my husband. I thought that it was my failure. You know, my parents had told me the same thing. So... That was, it was a sort of no place to go scenario, which so many people have. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and then, and then you healing from the trauma, is that, is that was that an ongoing journey or, um, and, and, and do you still find yourself feeling the repercussions of what you went through today? So, um, the thing is, where do you start to heal when you don't know what the problem is? This was quite some time ago for me, and the resources available were less accessible than they are now. In the end, it was random things that started my healing journey. There were really two things. Both of them came to me from the unlikely source of women, Women's Hour, a BBC uh, radio programme. I learned two things. I learned that there was such a thing as rape in marriage. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us learned that eventually. And I also heard someone talking about an anger issue. And I, you know, I went, that's what my husband has. He has an anger issue. Mm. So I managed to get hold of the name of the therapist and it was one of those times when the husband had gone way way too far and I said to him you need to go for therapy and he was such a narcissist that you said therapy and you went oh my god you know I could talk about myself forever he was one of those ther narcissists who loved therapy he had years and years and years and years of it and he went to this guy and I, and the guy said, you know, I want to speak to your wife. So the, he spoke to me and he said, you're actually in an abusive relationship. What you're going through is domestic violence. I went, this I don't do. Wow. You know, I hadn't known what it was. So then my healing started with a woman's group. 
And it was absolutely hilarious because I walked in as little Mrs. Middle Class and said, you know, I don't really think I should be here, you know, because I'm middle class and I think that um, domestic violence only happens somewhere a long way away and, you know, in dreadful families. And, and the therapist said, I think you're exactly the right place. And I was. And I realised that emotional abuse, narcissistic abuse, the whole shebang happens to people everywhere. It is no reflection on the person. It's not about being stupid or weak or anything. It's just the kind of wounds that you carry that mean that you are vulnerable to toxic people. Um, yeah. So that's where it started. Mm. And then because I have a talent for research, it seems, I started researching. And what I found was that I had to put together my own cocktail of healing, which I think we all do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can yeah. relate to, I, I still feel even though there's tons of resources, I feel like for anyone experiencing it, when you're involved in it, mm. you don't really, you, you might see some red, red flags, but you don't really understand what it is you're going through and um i think mm. so, so what you said about just you know listening into that and and hearing those conversations about anger that was almost like the trigger um mm. of realization so obviously uh you know so many repercussions happen because of abuse and i i feel like it, it leans on to a space where it comes down to us having to rewire things um that we've absolutely learned. yes that we've learned in those abusive relationships yeah. so obviously recovery and healing can you know take a different amount of time for different people and as you said absolutely. like you formed your own cocktail um but is it is it truly possible then would you be able to say that one can completely heal and for, for those chains to no longer be affecting you later on in your life would you say that you're at that place where you can talk about it and be detached from it right um so i'm thinking a lot of things here i think that for the point of for convenience and safety we have to consider ourselves as alcoholics we are always recovering we have never fully recovered. There is no shame in that. One of the saddest things I ever saw in that first group that I attended was a woman who had twins by a violent ex-partner. And she seemed to be getting it much, much faster than I was. And, you know, she came in one day and she said, I've done my journey. You know, I've got it. I'm okay. I'm good to go. Sadly, she wasn't. She went back to the violent partner and she had her children taken away from her permanently. It, um, it is an ongoing journey. We learn all the time. Um, do we ever reach the end of it? Honestly, I suspect not. But the other piece of that, which is much more important to me, is that the moment you start your healing journey, something shifts and you start to live a more joyful meaningful life so yes uh 
I mean, I would say I've been doing this a long, long time, working on myself a long, long time, as well as working with others. Um, and I would say that things still wound me sometimes. And I am much less, well, I am far, far more resilient than I was. I will pick myself up, and I've picked myself up in this year from any number of really, really tough things. Um, you pick yourself up faster. You have develop a healthy, loving relationship with yourself. And also, you become curious about yourself. The worst thing about emotional and narcissistic abuse, I believe, is that you end up down the bottom of a very dark hole on your own, completely isolated. Mm. And you feel like your whole life's gone. You know, there's just nowhere. And so, yes, I've been through a lot of tough times in the last year. And it's not the same feeling. You know you're in a bad place and yet you can reach out, have good times with friends, enjoy the good stuff. Um, yeah, so yes, I think there's always a certain sensitivity, but it's not a it's not bad. You will you will never have to be in anything like the pain that you are in now. That's how it works. And I think healing is the most glorious thing. Um, you know, someone wrote to me yesterday and said, I've lost 11 years of my life and I can't get them back. And we all lose years of our life and we can't get them back. But what we get when we move on is that the years that we have ahead of us are so much more joyful, so much more meaningful, thrilling that um, you can let those lost years go. You can just allow them to fade into the background. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So I've, I've experienced something recently, which, mm. which uh, yes, I mean, definitely, you know, uh, it, it was actually a very strange experience, but I'm very grateful that it wasn't uh, years and years of my life. Um, mm. It was sort of like a year period. Um, but I very much did get sucked into this very unhealthy, toxic relationship. Mm. And, um, and it became apparent, and having done some therapy myself, I also understand that it was, uh, you know, narcissistic abuse. Um, and, and, and what was interesting was there were other people who were able to almost pinpoint the red flags better than I did mm. Um, mm. by hearing my accounts of what was happening and sort of, mm. you know, we're, we're trying to sway my opinion of, of, you know, going against it and stepping away and getting out of this thing. Mm. But none of me really wanted to listen to that. Sure. And, um, and I'm sure that that's something that we can all relate to as well. So what is it about these relationships which, which do keep us stuck in I, I love the fact that you're mentioning joy because I think an immediate thing which came back once I was able to release it was this sense of peace um mm. I I think I just felt exhausted and depleted um in all of yeah. this and uh, yeah and until you walk away you you just you don't even remember the difference um 
so so what what are the so is it always our own wounds which are keeping us in these in this place of, of being stuck in abusive relationships i would say yes i think that um it becomes so all-consuming if you've had difficult experiences in your past particularly if you've had a dreadful childhood go into this thing and you're repeating the same pattern again. I cannot be loved. I am being unlovable. How do I turn this round? The only way I can turn around this fact that I am unlovable is by making this person love me. If my family didn't love me and this person doesn't love me, you know, what am I going to do? Go out there and repeat that? Tell you you're nothing when you've already had that experience a few times. Um, and it just becomes so all-consuming. And a narcissist is really very good at expanding uh, to fill the emotional space that you've got available. Phenomenally good at that. I think we're talking about things that address your brain. But the problem is that your brain and your heart are running different programs. And as you found out with your, um, your own red flag issue, mm. people were telling you important stuff and your heart was going, no, but you don't understand. You know, it's not like that. And there's all sorts of stuff going on for you. I don't know what it was, but it was your heart saying, yeah, yeah, but this is what I need to do. Yeah. So... All the intellectual stuff in the world ultimately doesn't hit the feelings and it's the feeling level that you've got to change. That's where the shift has to come. You have to develop self-love and that is incredibly difficult for people who don't have any. They go, I'm going to do it, but they don't even have a map for the territory. They just yeah. know that there's an end result where I'm going to be this kind of person who loves myself and everything will be all right. So I'll go out and buy myself a handbag. Because mm -hmm. um, they have no map. So it's really important to learn to love yourself. Um, yeah. is, there, is there another common thread in terms of people that you speak to who have gone through these experiences other than the fact that I know there seems to be a common thread of the empathy angle and, and, and being vulnerable in that respect. But other than that, is there anything else which comes up regularly when you're doing sessions with other people? Obviously people pleasing, mm -hmm. um, which all fits with the kind of childhood. Um, people pleasing, shame, um, having this belief that you've really got to work hard at relationships which yeah. is not true. Okay. If you're working hard at a relationship, it's the wrong damn relationship. Mm. Um, I think it's this whole spectrum of being taught that you're there to serve, that you're there to play second fiddle. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And, yeah. and, and, and for like both men and women, obviously, who are listening to this, and, you know, obviously there's a certain amount of um, focus and attention given to this idea that, you know, we all have the cap capacity to change. 
Um, but, you know, that can be dangerous as well in some of us. Yes, develop, yeah. So, you know, we can, we can develop the savior complex as well to some degree. Um, but what would you say to people who, who are, who, who do fit into that and who, who do think that, you know, and anybody can change, there is, there is a possibility in, in regards to, to these relationships, of course. Right, well that is naturally my starting point as well, that anybody can change. Um, and I, I choose and totally do believe in the goodness of people. But I don't believe in the goodness of all people. Because another of the features that um, victims of abuse do not have is that they do not have, uh, they do not place value on their own safety. You know, I've seen women go back into violent relationships where they have been nearly killed by their partner. You know, what's that about? Yeah. They just don't value their own safety. So part of valuing you know, part of, I think, being a grown-up in this world is having to accept that some people are damaging, bad, downright dangerous, and you have a duty of care to yourself to protect yourself from them. So that's one piece of the thing. The other piece is that narcissists don't want to change. Mm. You know, can they change? Who knows? They don't want to. It's the way they are built. They are not going to want to change for you. They are not going to want to change for the next person. Depending what the next person has to offer, they may put a, a damn good act for quite some time, but they don't change. Mm. And you have to be able to accept that you know we have to accept tough things in life that is one of them and we also have to grow out of our savior complex you're no damn use to the world if you are busy trying to save people who don't want to be saved you know don't need to be saved and not looking after yourself yeah absolutely and does it tend to be is it mostly men then who who have these qualities in terms of the the gender because you seem to hear a lot more about it where where, where men have this disorder as opposed to women the numbers tend to suggest that statistically there are more men than women um significantly more however that doesn't mean that women don't have it and one of the things that um, didn't make for my best year this year was realizing that a friend of mine from way back when is actually a narcissist, uh, a dear female friend. She's marvelously charismatic and I'm very, very fond of her. However, she's a narcissist. Women can be narcissists too. And they can be damaging. Mm. But I think culturally, women are more bred to um, be self-sacrificing and, you know, have all the touchy-feely virtues and we are um, programmed to show compassion, etc., etc. So it's both nature and nurture, I think. 
Yeah. And how then can we, I mean, I, I've definitely been told that I think it's much easier to implement physical boundaries, but in terms of mental and emotional boundaries, that's, you know, a huge challenge, especially people who have endured any kind of abuse. Um, so mm. how, how, how can we do that better? I love this question because people talk about boundaries, you know, I need to put boundaries in place and they don't even know what the hell a boundary really looks like and feels mm. like. Mm. Um, it's uh, something that I go into at length in my book to choose your dog more carefully than your husband. But basically, for the a very rough rule of thumb is that a boundary is about saying no and feeling good about it. Mm. A boundary is about saying no to what you don't want and feeling good about it. And that is a really big thing when you've been brought up to be a people pleaser and to accept judgment and all of this other rubbish that we've all learned. Mm. So the practical way that I teach boundaries is that you don't try to do a big one first. It's like, you know, if you're gonna to learn to play the piano, you're probably not going to try and make Rachmaninoff the first thing you play. You'll probably learn a scale or two and a little children's tune and this kind of stuff. So you do the same thing with boundaries. You start off really, really small. You start off with someone you actually trust. Mm. So say someone you trust says, would you mind making me a cup of tea? And you just say, tell you what, no do it for yourself because they you know that they trust you that they're a friend they're a family member who loves you whoever they are so you can say that and they'll go oh okay and nothing dreadful will happen and then your nervous system goes i said a no nothing happened and you do that a lot of times with small stuff until you can feel safe enough to do it where it counts but all these little steps that you put in place with little no's make a huge difference mm. and I taught this once to a class and there was a social worker in there who worked with abused women she was there actually um, not as a participant but as you know she was watching and learning or something I don't quite remember and in the break they all had to do this so she was smoking and someone came up to her and said, could I have a cigarette, please? And she said, no, you can't. And she just burst out crying because she realized that it was the first time she ever had the courage to say no in her life. And it was a real mind shift. Yeah. So you start with little no's. Is this resonating with you? Oh, yeah, absolutely, for sure. I, which I think... <laughs> which i absolutely do struggle with um so it makes yeah. it makes a lot of sense and i love the fact that you've broken it down because yes we're reading a lot now about red flags and boundaries and, yeah. and all of these things but it's it, in actuality you know what does that mean and what does that look yeah, like exactly so, um yeah no i think that's great um and mm. and and another thing that i i find interesting is that there is this kind of um a bit of a, a strange relationship with this idea of like a lot of strong women 
do you endure these kind of relationships as well, which makes yeah. other people, you know, other people who are more the viewer and are seeing it outside the box sort of question like what made someone like you or what makes, you know, even a strong woman stay in these kind of situations. Um, and, and I also like, I would say that I'm quite a feminist in my viewpoint for quite a lot of things. Um, but there's this interesting sort of dynamic between and tension between um, this idea of submission, um, especially in relationships as well, because even even strong women, you know, want to be taken care of, care of and, um, oh. and and looked after. So how do we? I, I hate the I hate to use the word balance, but um, how how do we strike that well i think that we are conflating various things and that's what i was shaking my head at first of all i think this whole thing about submissiveness actually comes from the patriarchy you know how convenient is it to have a wife who goes yes dear yes dear you know i'll pick your socks up off the floor dear because i love you um, and the way I've worked it in my relationship with my partner is that we play to our strengths. Mm. We totally play to our strengths with respect. It turns out that I'm the Rottweiler. I am much better at pushing to get things done outside the home than my partner is. That's fine. He, he has a genius for just making things feel easier. Mm. Um, there is, oh, so that's part of it, playing to your strength, strengths and, you know, ignoring these rubbishy stereotypes that we believe in. Um, I mean, and there's a real problem with this belief that if you're a strong person, you should have to do it all yourself. Mm. I think it's all about appreciating intent. You know, why the hell, <clears throat> pardon me, shouldn't someone do good stuff for you? Why should, oh, shouldn't uh, you do good stuff for other people? You don't, oh yeah, you don't work at relationships. And you don't have to compromise in relationships. This is seriously my belief. My relationship with my partner, which I regard as being pretty okay, it is not a sacrifice for either of us to do anything for the other. Mm -hmm. Because when someone really matters, you just do it. When you do like someone really matters, you want to give them the best and they want to give you the best. Mm -hmm. um, Nice things should be, nice things should be a non-negotiable part, a, an integral, integral part of the relationship. You, and the other, oh yeah, the, this was a thing that I was actually wanting to say, that we have a rotten idea of strength in this world. Mm. You know, strength is some sort of superhuman thing. You know, we strut through life and we're bulletproof. We don't need anything from anyone. We can do it all ourselves. That is frankly weird. Mm. We have to actually revise our view of strength. 
um, you know, there's this question, well, why did she say so long? You know, was she stupid? And that is so damned insulting. Nobody who judges thinks of the strength that it takes to stay in that relationship and work at it and try to do the best for your kids if you have them when you are on your knees. Mm. There, we need a new definition of strength and strength is this managing to pick yourself up and keep going and show as much dignity as you possibly can when times are really tough. And every time that you fall down and pick yourself up again, that is real strength. Yeah. So, absolutely. yeah. So I think we need to throw these stereotypes out of the window. Mm -hmm. yeah. And 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 lastly, Annie, I wanted to ask you about since this series is um, about release and releasing sort of old patterns of behaviour, old ways mm. of knowing how to do things. Um, how important is it in your working therapy? Um, that, that you find relief being essential in order to, you know, get to the next phase or um, I suppose accelerate in a way that you really want to and need to or just, you know, in a way which serves you better. But a lot of the times we can't do that if we're clinging all to past patterns. So how, how necessary is it to, to be able to do that? And how can we sort of like let go better if you like? <laughs> Just a small question to finish with then. <laughs> okay, so this is a huge question. You have to undo old patterns because otherwise those old patterns will drive you. Mm. Just to give you the most ridiculous um, uh, illustration of the power of patterns. Well, after I left my husband, um, I started coaching and the first coach I had, I paid for him because I knew he had knowledge, but I knew he was a total scumbag. Nothing I heard from other people, nothing I saw in him supported it, but I knew he was a total scumbag. And it wasn't until I looked at his new website that I realized why, and that was because he looked remarkably like my ex-husband. So the power of what we don't bring up to the surface and deal with will drive us. It will totally drive us. It will drive us in our judgments. It will drive us in who we are attracted to, who we're not attracted to. It will, um, it will have us doing things that our conscious, intelligent mind will go, I can't believe you just did something so stupid. Mm. So you have to constantly work with yourself. Yeah. There is this fear uh, with pretty much everybody that I've ever started working with who really doesn't want to do that because they are convinced that they have this disgusting can of worms and that when they bring it up, you know, when they start looking at their can of worms, it's going to be overwhelming and horrifying. And that's not true. Yeah. Um, kind of, during my early days as a single woman, I had to deal with the bins. Now, that was one of the things my ex-husband did superbly well. He did it like the professional he was, but you know, he'd be out there for half an hour every week, 
dealing with the bins. When I took over, bin management wasn't so good. And one day I opened the bin and it was heaving with maggots. And I hate maggots. Mm. And so I did the girly thing, run into the house screaming, um, got a kettle of boiling water, rushed out, <laughs> threw it over the bin, turned the bin upside down and fled. Came back 20 minutes later and all the maggots had disappeared. That's what happens with your own can of maggots when you actually, your own can of worms when you actually bring it up to the surface. There is nothing so shameful. There is nothing that divides you from other people who've been through it. Um, there's nothing so painful that you can't heal. Yeah. But pain healing requires you to be very, very gentle with yourself. It requires you to reparent yourself. And that, another, that's a whole big topic. And it reminds, it requires you to actually connect with your younger self at so many ages. And it also requires a huge amount of forgiveness. Some experts say, why should you have to forgive yourself? You've done nothing wrong. And that's totally true. You have done nothing wrong. But we all blame ourselves for our mess ups. Yeah. Um, and therefore, you have to forgive yourself for the mess ups you made and the part that you chose and the things you did because you genuinely believe that you were doing the best you possibly could. Mm. So there are many layers to healing. Yeah. Um, and they can all be done and they can all be done gently and enjoyably. Yeah. And the other th thing that it really, I think is in hugely impossible important to stress is uh, the, that narcissistic abuse takes you into the most unhappy, least resourceful place in yourself. It takes you back into an abandoned child scenario where you have no power and life is miserable. So the first thing you can do for yourself is laugh. You want to laugh, you want to find things that make you laugh, you know. Follow the people on Instagram who are incredibly funny. Watch funny films, listen to funny things. This has incredible power of breaking a mood. Mm, yeah, so true. Yeah. And not in the current times, but in other times, one very ugly little resource which works wonderfully well to break your mood and give you a chance to, to move on, to, to, to change your mindset in the instant, is uh, something which is a combination of Tony Robbins stuff, where basically you commit to whenever you have a negative thought, mm -hmm. sticking your finger up your nose and screaming happy birthday at the top of your life at the top of your lungs wherever you happen to be not in these times not till the epidemic is long behind us <laughs> but 
so just go um but even just committing to shouting um happy you know singing some song really loud when you ca catch a negative thought going on can be very powerful mm. there's a lady i worked with a long long time ago she um was in fear and trembling of for her life her husband had been put in prison for trying to kill her he had been let out because he was um, giving the police information about some drug dealers and he had got out and he was coming to kill her and she had actually had to flee her flat naked one night in order to escape him that's how close it was and i was working with this woman she's a group i was working with and we talked about using this resource, things up the nose and screaming happy birthday wherever you are the next week. And some of them said that's disgusting, some of the women. And she said, you know, I've run through the streets of my local area naked. You know, I'm not going to balk at that. Mm. So she did it. And the next week she came along and she actually felt a lot more empowered. Wow. And if you can do that when your situation is that bad, it just shows you the power of a pattern interrupt yeah no absolutely mm. well thank you so much um annie for, for talking to us today about about this i think it's so relevant and so important so um thank you for just being on and sharing well thank you it's been lovely to talk to you and i hope that's provided people with something that they can work with and all and that was the finale episode of the series of release. We're starting a brand new series next Sunday called Ignite, which I'm thoroughly looking forward to. It's all for the creatives. You can stay updated with everything Unplug with Annie on the website, of course, unplugwithannie.com, as well as the IG and Facebook page with the name Unplug with Annie. Until next week, guys, have a great week ahead.